Turn with me in your scriptures to the book of John. John chapter 13. We talk about this section as the beginning of his uh, private ministry to his disciples. Up until this point in the book of John, Jesus has been ministering out in public. Uh, he has been proclaiming the need for belief in him so that they could believe and be reconciled to the Father. To those who do not believe, he has been alleviating suffering by healing, by uh, giving direction to his disciples on how to uh, deal with the public. And now he is turning his attention toward his followers. And so we will see the, the teaching, we will see the ministry of Jesus change here as he deals with those who believe in him, as he deals with those who have followed him for these three years, and he prepares them for the cross, and he prepares them for life after the cross. And so we begin to see that here in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me or with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let us pray. To the great and holy God above, you have sent us your Son so that we might see you revealed and so that we might have salvation and so that we might be reconciled to you and know you. As we look at the words that were written down about Jesus' life and about his teaching, open our eyes. Help us to see his glory and his majesty as well as his humility. And help us to know his love through these words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Servitude. Jesus, during his ministry to his disciples, had to 
explained to his disciples that, you know, none of them were greater than any of the others. We're reminded as we look at this passage, we're reminded back to that incident where James and John approached Jesus and said, we are willing to live and to suffer as you live and as you suffer. Will you give the two of us the most important spots in your kingdom, those two thrones right next to you? And of course, how does Jesus respond to them? He says, it's not for me to give, that is for the Father. He said, but the greatest in my kingdom will be the one who serves. The greatest in my kingdom will be the one who in seeking, seeks the last spot so that he may be first, be made first. The one who seeks that first spot in my kingdom will be humiliated if they do not humble themselves. We actually see Jesus act this out for his disciples as we look to John 13 verses 1 through 17. Today we're going to look at Jesus' love for his disciples and for his people. We're going to look at the salvation that Jesus prefigures. And we're also going to look at Jesus' example in this. Before we look at these three issues that are here in the scriptures, there are two issues that many scholars, many critical scholars who do not believe in the, in the, in the inspiration of the word find in this particular passage of John. The first comes in the first verse there. It was just before the Passover feast. Um, many scholars look at John and they see this passage and they, they put together the days and the weeks that are mentioned in John and they say, well, there's a discrepancy here between John and the other three Gospels as to when uh, the Passover feast was. Uh, they look at this and other instances within th chapter 13 through 17 of the book of John and they say, hey, John puts the feast of the disciples at... Thursday night, whereas the synoptics or the other three Gospels put the feast on Friday night, Friday afternoon, Friday evening. Well, the problem with that is nowhere in this passage does it say this was Thursday night. It just said it was before the Passover feast. It doesn't say that this meal that they're sharing when Christ washed their feet is the meal of the Passover feast. John is very vague in his timing here. And it is a misrepresentation of John's facts to put this at odds with the synoptic gospels. The other issues that many scholars find with John's account is that he does not give a Lord's Supper. He does not give an account of what we celebrate on the third Sunday here every month. The, the words of Paul that he, that he received from Christ that echo the words of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and in the same way he took the wine and he he instituted the Lord's Supper. And many scholars see John's omission of that as John being anti-sacramental, anti-Lord's Supper. And instead of providing the Lord's Supper, he provides a new sacrament, a sacrament of feet washing. Just because somebody leaves something out of their historical account doesn't mean that they're against it. John nowhere in his gospel says, don't do the Lord's Supper and do the feet washing instead. We're going we're gonna to look at the feet washing as an example here in a few minutes. But um, it is reading too much into John for a scholar to say John doesn't like the Lord's Supper just because he doesn't write it in there. John's focus was different than the other three gospels in, in certain respects. And that shows itself as Jesus um, 
reflects and shows his deity through these five, 13 chapters, 13 through 17, these five chapters. And so it's not that John was anti Lord's Supper. It just didn't fit into his narrative. And so we need to keep that in mind. So um, just two technical things to deal with before we jump into the discussion of Jesus' love, Jesus' salvation, and Jesus' example. First, we look at Jesus' love. Jesus opens, John opens this section of Jesus' memory by ministry by telling us a few things about Jesus. He reminds us that Jesus' hour was upon him. Remember, throughout the book of John, Jesus has been brought to instances in his life where he had the opportunity to present himself and to proclaim himself to be the Messiah, the promised one of God, that servant of God that Isaiah and other prophets talked about, who would come and usher in the end times. And what was his response most of the time? My hour has not yet come. It is not yet time for me to be glorified. But at the end of chapter 12, the Greeks approached him. And, it, and at the approaching of the Greeks, Jesus said, now my hour is here. Now it is time for me to be glorified. And as Jesus and the disciples enter into this meal, into this time together, this time of Jesus' service to his disciples, John reminds us that this is the hour that has come upon Jesus. Secondly, John reminds us about who was in charge of Jesus' ministry. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. He goes on to say that he knew that all power was in his hand and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so we're reminded that Jesus did not enter into this unwillingly. Nothing that happened in this surprised him. And when it came to his time and his, his hour, he was in complete and total control. In this section, John reminds us that Jesus had an enemy, that the devil was the one who had given Joseph, Judas the last push he needed to betray Jesus. All of us are bent. All of us are inclined to betray Jesus. Joseph needed, or goodness, Judas needed an extra push. And Satan was more than willing to oblige him, to push him into betrayal. And we will actually see that all of the disciples betrayed Jesus at some point in this. Judas, however, was the one that was used to turn Jesus over to the authorities. But most importantly, John reminds us in this section that Jesus acted in love. It says here that having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Some of you, if you have um, a different translation than the one I read, the New International Version, that last part of verse 1 may say, might say that Jesus loved them to the last. The Greek word that is involved there um, uh, can be translated either way. And, and when it is used as a word that says to the last, it means to the ends of love. He loved them to the end of love, or as the NIV says here, he loved them to the fullest extent. Jesus here in this instant, what's Paul say in, John, in Philippians chapter 2? He said, God, Jesus released, Jesus let go of, of being in God's presence and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus stands up. He has been their leader. He has been their teacher. He has been their Lord for these three years. And in this instant, he puts on the uniform of a slave. 
and taking off his outer garments and only having upon himself a towel around his waist and his undergarments showing he has dressed as a slave. He takes upon himself not only the form of a servant, but the dress of a servant. And then he goes and does something that not even a Jewish servant would do. It was reserved for children of servants or Gentile servants. He washed their feet. Now, this is something we don't oftentimes understand and we don't get. We wear shoes and we wear socks for the most part. Sometimes in the summer we wear flip-flops, but if you're like me, you wear flip-flops inside. Our feet don't get dirty. In, in the first century, in Jesus' time, in Jesus' place, they would, they would bathe themselves and they wore sandals everywhere they went. And the roads were not paved. There were no paved sidewalks. You walked on dirt. You walked on dust. And you walked on the things that animals drop in dirt and in dust. And if you're wearing sandals, those things get on your feet. And so if you show up at somebody's house for dinner, in order to keep their house from getting dirty in order to refresh you because uh, as your feet get dirty, sometimes it, it means you've been walking a lot and you get tired. In order to refresh you, in order to keep their house clean, they would have their servant wash your feet. All the dust, all the dirt, all the other stuff that ends up on the ground in an agrarian society, they would wash off of your feet. And Peter's response is normal. It's probably what all the disciples were thinking. This is unclean, not just in a hygienic standpoint, but also from a standpoint of cleanliness and uncleanliness in the religious worship and being in the presence of God in, in the Israelite society. The stuff that he had walked in, the stuff that they had walked in, that he would now be washing off of their feet. He was making himself unclean. And Peter says, no, 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 no. You're my Lord. You're my master. You're my teacher. You don't do this. This is wrong for you to do this. And in this, Jesus shows his love. We see later on in the passage that, you know, just as I have loved you, love, love each other. Serve each other by doing this. But in addition to this physical reality, think of the spiritual reality of this. We wonder oftentimes, why did Jesus give up the glories of heaven? He was equal with God. He was God and he resided in the presence of God. We talk about the time when we leave this earth and the new heavens and the new earth come and we don't have to deal with the junk of this earth anymore. The dirt, the dust and the other stuff that's on the ground of this earth that we walk through daily. Why did Jesus give up perfection and glory for this earth? Because he loved them to the last. He loved them to the fullest extent of love. As Leonard Cohen's song says, he danced them to the end of love. And we see Jesus in love, stooping down on his knees, dirtying himself because he loves his disciples. We see Jesus' love, but we also see his salvation. Peter has reacted to Jesus more than likely, as I said. This is a reaction that all of the disciples had. And he goes, you're not going to wash my feet. This is too menial for you. You are way too important of a person to be washing my feet and getting yourself unclean and getting yourself dirty. And Jesus says these really cryptic words. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, of course, Peter goes, well, 
Hallelujah, then amen. Go ahead and wash all of me then. Wash my head, wash my hands, wash everything. What was Jesus talking about here? It was something that Peter, Jesus says, you're not going to understand this until all these things happen or until later. What was Jesus telling Peter? That unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In the book of Romans that we're studying in Sunday school, we're talking about the work that Jesus has done on behalf of his people, the work for justification, declaring us righteous in God's sight. And in order for that to be ours, we have to be united to Christ. His crucifixion has to be united to us. His resurrection has to be united to us. His righteousness, his perfection, his complete keeping of God's law has to be united to us. And what he says here is he says, unless I wash you, that union is not there. Unless I cleanse you, you have no part in me. Now, of course, Jesus here is talking of a spiritual reality. William Cowper in 1799 uh, published, along with John Newton, the only hymnal, O-L-N-E-Y, the only hymnal. One of the songs that he wrote for that, he got the inspiration from Zechariah 13.1. It says, on that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. With his knowledge of Zechariah 13 and his knowledge of the New Testament, William Cowper penned, there is a fountain. The first verse goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Blood is a symbol of life in the Old Testament. The shedding of blood brought reconciliation between man and God in the Old Testament. And the book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. And unless we are cleansed with the shedding of his blood, we have no part with Jesus. Now that comes through faith. That comes through the grace that God gives to us. But Jesus tells Peter, I am here to buy your salvation and unless I cleanse you, you have no part with me. Now, Peter, Lord love Peter, he overreacts. Almost every time before Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes upon him, Peter overreacts. He says, well, goodness, Jesus, if you've got to cleanse me, then cleanse all of me. And Jesus responds once again, rather cryptically, rather confusingly. He says, well, a person who's already had his bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. What Jesus is saying is, when it comes to being cleansed by my blood, it only has to happen once. Basically what he's saying to Peter, he says, you've been following me, you've been believing in me, you've been accepting my message as the truth and the true way to reconciliation with God. You are cleansed already. And that cleansing sticks for all eternity. But you stumble every now and then. You still walk in the dirt and filth of this world. And so occasionally your feet have to be cleaned. If you have believed Jesus Christ, if you have had the cleansing of that fountain that is filled with Jesus' blood, that has cleansed you from sin and has declared you righteous, you are righteous and nothing can take that cleansing away. But we do still walk in the filth of this world, don't we? And we do still succumb to the filth of this world and we dabble our feet in the dirt and the filth of sin, of violating God's law, of thinking that we're still in charge. And occasionally we need our feet cleaned. 
And Jesus is there to do that. We do it through confession. We do it through repentance. We do it from turning from those sins and turning towards seeking more and more the holiness that God has given to us. Jesus here deals with the reality of our initial entrance into the people of God and walking life with him. He says, I have cleansed you, but you're going to fall. And I'll be there to wipe your feet off when you do. I have cleansed you, but you're still going to get dirty dabbling in sin. And and I'm there to clean your feet when you do. I have cleansed you and you can never lose that. As Paul says later on in, in, in chapter eight of the book of Romans, nothing, nothing, no power, no sin, no temptation, no nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we've seen Jesus' love, we have seen Jesus' salvation, and we see Jesus' example as well. Now, this event goes beyond only showing how Jesus relates to his people in love and salvation. It teaches us how to relate to one another. Now, some people in the history of the church have added a sacrament. One group of Uh, One church denomination has added five other sacraments, but the one I want to look at here is they have added a sacrament of foot washing to baptism and to uh, the Lord's Supper. And what they have done is they have taken Jesus' words here very literally, which is not always bad, but they've taken them very literally and, and in such have very much thinned them. Well, it says here, you know, I've washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. So they say, all right, we'll do foot washing every so often in the church. And that's now a sacrament of the church. It's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I have I have seen a foot washing ceremony. I've not taken part in it. I'm kind of ashamed of my feet. Don't want people seeing them and washing them and touching them. But I have seen a foot washing happen. And and it can be a very powerful example of how we're to relate to one another. But the relation comes in in more than just physically washing my feet or your feet. Our sin is ugly. Our struggle with sin is ugly. The effects of sin in our lives and in the lives of our fellow Christians at times can be ugly. We pray for people who have lost loved ones. We pray for people who struggle with cancer. We pray for people who are not saved. We pray for people who struggle with mental problems and with depression and with the ugliness of the effects of sin in their life. They struggle with sexual attractions that are described as sinful in the scriptures. They struggle with confusion over who they are in their own body. Jesus entered the ugliness of our world. Jesus, as as one songwriter writes it, he put on our skin and and he walked on our sod. He walked in the filth of the sinfulness of this world and dirtied himself by cleaning his disciples' feet, by taking their sin upon him on the cross And when Jesus says, do what I have done here, he's saying, don't think you're better than other brothers and sisters in me. Get dirty serving one another. Weep with those who weep. Struggle with those who struggle. Get dirty for me. Get dirty for those who you say you love. Because that's what I did for you. Now, there's no salvation in that. 
It's a flowing out. It's a res- our response to salvation. Sin is ugly. And each of us in our own way struggle with the ugliness of sin in our life. Whether it's health, whether it's mental, whatever it is, whatever temptation that ugliness shows itself in our life. We are called, the master is not greater than the servant. The messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And the the one who sent him is not greater than the servant. And the master is not greater than the one who sent, than the one that was sent. We are all on equal footing with God and we desperately need to love each other enough to care enough to deal with the ugliness of sin in in each other's lives. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't be afraid to serve one another. Don't be afraid to get dirty for one another. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there for other followers of God. We're in this together. We are a family. All that that entails, the good parts and the bad parts. We are all in this together to humbly serve one another. This astounds me because Jesus didn't only do it for the 11 that he knew loved him. And he knew who was going to betray him. And Jesus could have gone, all right, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. James, I got yours. John, I got yours. Simon, I got yours. Bartholomew, I've got yours. The other James, I've got yours. Oh, Judas, I'll catch you later. And just keep going. He knew. But he knelt at the feet of Judas and washed his feet. Talk about the love there for that man. We demonize Judas, and, and somewhat rightly so. But we're him also. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, you hung him on the cross. Now those words were probably directed to Jewish leaders who probably did, maybe not physically, but signed the warrant to hang Jesus on the cross. But Luke didn't just write those words and Peter just didn't speak those words to his audience there. God codified them in scripture and they have come down to us as well. The ugliness of our sin hung him on the cross. And yet he put the towel around his waist and washed our feet anyway. He shed his blood so that we might be cleansed anyway. It amazes me the depth of love that Jesus had for his people and the people that God had given him. When he says, I will gather my sheep to me and I will never forsake them. This is what he's talking about. This is how he drew his sheep to him. And the least we can do is treat each other in this room that way. Whether we agree or disagree on certain issues, whether we are different demographics, whether we are different economic spots, even if we have different skin color, the least we can do is love each other and then share that love with those beyond us. But it starts here. It starts in taking care of one another. It starts in living out the love that Jesus shared upon us. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we are reminded so much of the love that you have given, so much of the salvation that you have purchased and offered, 
And so much of the example that we have, not an example that saves us if we follow it, but an example that we should follow because you have already saved us. Help us love one another. Help us humble ourselves and serve one another so that those who look at us might see your love and your glory. Amen.